Hey Future Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And we are the hosts of Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Each week, we'll dive into some of the most unnerving crimes that this unnatural world has to offer. Listen for Unnatural on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. I'm Dee Dee West. And I'm Summer. And this is Broken Limelight. So happy October. It's finally fucking spooky season again. Yay! I'm so excited. Remember when we were here a year ago and it was Summer's first time on the podcast and we did River Phoenix on Halloween? This is so exciting. It's like full cycle. (laughs) Here we are a year later. One year later. Still kicking it. (laughs) It's going strong. Summer's still here <laughs> on the podcast. It's still summer. So that's a good sign. All right. So this episode is going to be different from the usual. A very special episode indeed. So this is going to be about something actually called the very special episodes, which refers to comedy sitcoms that featured episodes containing really dark or controversial themes. The usage of the term peaked in the 1980s, but there are earlier shows with episodes like this. So let me give you a few examples, and um, I want to see if you remember any of them. So first of all, this is one of the most recent ones. Um, Remember Boy Meets World? Mm -hmm. Boy Meets World was a popular sitcom that aired on ABC from 1993 to 2000. It most closely followed the main character, Corey Matthews, who was played by Ben Savage, as well as his family, his best friend, Sean, and his girlfriend, Topanga. The show was very lighthearted and family-friendly, and it was pretty funny, actually. The writing was really good. Corey's next door neighbor was Mr. Feeney, who was also his high school teacher and his principal like throughout his, his childhood. And he was played by William Daniels. And Mr. Feeney is absolutely unforgettable. Mm-hmm. He was. I think like any, anywhere people see that actor, William Daniels, they go, oh, that's Mr. Feeney. Right. <laughs> Especially a 90s kid. So while this show was typically really warm and sweet and dealt with teen romance and things like that, it had a couple of very special episodes. One of the most memorable ones was called Cult Fiction. It was season four, episode 21, and it it aired in 1997 on April 25th. This was about Corey's best friend, Sean, and he was under the influence of a cult. Do you remember this episode? I don't think so. I remember Sean being troublesome, but I don't remember a cult. Right. So, yeah, Sean had a troubling childhood, and it kind of seems like that's the reason he kind of fell victim to a cult. So cults weren't a major theme in this in the show at all. You never talked about it. It was one specific episode, which is during the characters. Um, they're like in high school at this point. Sean throughout the series is like struggling with finding himself because he he's throughout his childhood. His mom constantly left and it was just him and his dad. And then his dad would leave him with somebody with like the Matthews or with his teacher. And Sean was just constantly alone and he was really lonely. He had a brother he didn't know about until like college, you know? Right. So what happens is sometime in his adolescence or young adulthood, he meets a girl and this girl, the first thing she starts telling him is we don't judge. You know, she's like, I'm not a judgmental person. And he really like embraces this. So she's like, you know what? Let me take you back to this club. And he's thinking it's going to be like a dance club. And she's like, no, it's not that kind of place. 
So he takes them and it's this like this big building where there's just a bunch of teenagers like playing ping pong and like just talking, listening to music. And they call it the center. And everybody hugs each other there and everybody calls each other by their name like every time. Like, hi, Sean. How are you doing, Sean? How was work today, Sean? Like every single time they use their name. It's it's, it's like creepy right off the bat, you know? Yeah. So what ends up happening later on is that Mr. Feeney knows about this place and everybody starts to figure out that this is a cult. It's really weird. Like Sean is embracing this place with his entire identity. And it's just it's very dark for the show. You know, it's not a typical thing. But it's kind of like they use this episode to embrace Sean's character a little bit more and, Mm. you know, show like what a big deal his life was. And honestly, how much support he has in the Matthews and everybody else. Right. Mr. Feeney, of course, who was the next door neighbor, he always looked at the kids like almost like his own children. Mm. So at the end of the cult, Sean is absolutely like, you you guys need to let me do what I want to do. And it's actually Mr. Feeney who acts like he's going to fight the cult leader. He's like, you need, I'm going to call the cops. Like this is, and it's crazy because it, it becomes very clear to all the adults, not the children. I mean, I think they're teenagers, but it becomes very clear to the adults that they're manipulating Sean who doesn't have any parents right now. You know, he doesn't right. have anybody looking out for him except other people. So it's like, they all see like somebody needs to stand up for him. Right. So that was a pretty interesting episode for that show. Um, another one was just a little bit earlier in the show. It was also season four episode. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was also season four, episode eight. So this was about like Corey and Sean had a classmate who was being abused by her father. And I know a lot of people don't remember this episode, but I'm pretty sure they were in high school for this episode. And Sean tells Corey that he can't hang out because he's sick or something. So Corey ends up going over to see him and Sean has a girl over and there's no parents there. It's just Sean and this girl. So Corey instantly imagines like, oh my God, Sean is having sleepovers with this girl and they're having sex. And mm-hmm. stupid Corey jumps to the whole idea like, why why aren't me and Topanga having sex? And that's like half of the episode is Corey just being a stupid teenager. Until Sean tells him like, look, Claire's not sleeping with me. She's sneaking out of her house because her father's beating her at night. But you can't tell anybody. And that's why I didn't tell you. But it gets to a point where she can't stay at Sean's. And Sean's like, she needs to stay here. Can I, can he, she please stay at your place? And Corey's like, it's such a goody good. In fact, that's like a central theme in the show is that Sean is a bad boy. And Corey's constantly getting him off the hook or like lying for him or something. You know? Right. Yeah. And Corey's kind of a chicken shit, you know. But this is like something serious that he's like, he wants to tell the adults. And Sean's like, absolutely not. Because the girl's father is like, He's like an important bank president or something like that. But she's like got black eyes and stuff. And it turns out that like Corey's parents find out what's happening and they tell the kids like, listen, it's not up to you. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I think they, they put the girl on a bus to her aunt's house, but the parents are like, okay, but she's still under her father's guardianship. You know, he's going to bring her back. Like, what are you going to do next? You can't save her every time. So like, this is where the adults step in. They call the police. And I think, the guy, the father ended up getting like anger management or something. And the girl like got to go live with her aunt. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good. It was just like really dark for Boy Meets World. Uh, You know what I mean? Like this was such a non-typical episode. Right. I feel like the things that I remember from that show are like pretty serious though. Like I think it, it kind of touched on a lot of things that people were going through at my age at that totally. time. So it like a lot of things that they showed on that show like really resonated with me. It's, it's a, a really good show and it was totally family friendly. And I think that's why is because it 
it showed all kinds of different characters. Like Corey was middle class. He wasn't that rich, you know, where Sean was lower class, always living in a trailer park. And then like, it was just, there was all the different types of people. And they had a lot of episodes about that too, about how like, why can't we just all live together? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's another one that I don't know if this is considered a very special episode, but it's definitely notable. Do you remember the Halloween episode of, Bro- of uh, <laughs> Broken Mind Mind? The Halloween episode <laughs> of Boy Meets World. <laughs> this one um uh no you know no okay so you don't remember an episode where somebody's running around in a scream mask like running around the high school killing everybody Uh, like legitimately um like okay so let's talk about this actually dying (laughs) let's let's talk about it i mean kind of it was really really dark for boy meets world what happens is um it starts off with everybody in detention, like Sean, Corey, Topanga, Sean's brother, Jack is in it. Um, so they're in high school at this point. And then um, there was a girl named Angela. And um, for some reason, Jennifer Love Hewitt was randomly in this episode. So they're all in detention. And then there's a random guy named Kenny and everybody's fighting. And um, it's right after like Tor- Corey and Topanga break up. So it's like there's they're not even like together at this point. What happens is all of a sudden the whole episode is like, it's like a slasher movie. Like the lights go off and they start flickering and some creepy like 1920s music starts playing on the speaker. And Sean is like, listen, this is in every single horror movie I've ever seen. I know exactly what's going to happen. And he starts plotting it out. Like he starts telling everybody like the first one to die is the person who says this and that. So the random guy, Kenny, like asks somebody for a pencil and all of a sudden, when the lights go off and they turn back on, everybody's like, wow, what the fuck was that? And they turn and they look and Kenny's like standing against the wall and he's got a pencil through his forehead, like literally stabbed through his forehead. And then he just like falls and you see this like pencil line all the way down the wall, like where he was just stand- like, <laughs> it got really dark really fast. You know, they're like, holy shit, people are actually dying here. So then the whole episode, they're like holy crap, like, where's Mr. Feeney? And then they go out in the hallway and they're like, oh, Mr. Feeney, you're playing a prank on us, huh? Like, I get it. And they all start laughing and all of a sudden he falls to his knees and then he falls forward and you can see that there's scissors in his back. Like, somebody stabbed Mr. Feeney in the back. So now they're like, what the fuck is happening? And it's, in throughout the episode, there's little comedic moments where they're all like, (laughs) everybody at the same time looks behind them. And then, like, the fucking killer runs by, like, like right when they're not looking. And it happens, like, <laughs> it's like a running joke. <laughs> and it's just, like, like the scream character, you know? It's, like, the cheesiest you can get. So then, one by one, like, they start dying. They're all, like, in the library. And somebody pushes, I think they push Angela out the window. And somebody pushes a bookshelf on somebody else until all that's left is, like, I think it's just Corey, Topanga, and Sean. So they're face-to-face with the killer. And they can't figure out who it is because they're literally all in that room. So Sean goes and pulls the mask off of the killer and it's Sean. Like it's Sean face to face with himself. And it turns out the whole thing is like a bad dream because Sean is really struggling with Corey and Topanga's breakup. So he decided to dream that he went around killing everybody. But it is the freakiest fucking episode. Like it's it gives you chills because literally like they're in. It's just like all these kids in high school and the lights are flickering and the fucking creepy ass music comes on. It's a good episode, dude. I like legitimately everybody i've ever met who's seen that episode like sincerely was terrified of it what um what year was that okay so that was boy meets world season five it's called 
And then there was Sean, and it aired in 1998. Okay, so the next one, I don't know if you'll be familiar with it. Did you ever watch a show called All in the Family? Mm-mm. So this was a show from the 70s. I watched it because it was on Nick at Night. So All in the Family aired on CBS from 1971 to 1979. It was based on a British sitcom called Till Death Do Us Part. It starred Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton as Archie Bunker and his wife, Edith Bunker. Sally Struthers was also in it. She played their adult daughter, Gloria. And young Rob Reiner was in it. He played Gloria's husband, Michael, or as Archie liked to call him, Meathead. You know who Rob Reiner is, right? He's a ball guy. He's an actor in a lot of stuff. He's a director. Mm-hmm. He directed yeah. Stand By Me and shit. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't remember that that's Rob Reiner. He was just really young. Hmm. And he had like long hippie hair, bell bottoms. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures. There you go. So the main character, Archie Bunker, was known as a lovable bigot. He represented the American blue-collar working-class man. He was a World War II vet, and he's seen as lovable because he's just kind of nostalgic about the older days, and he's learning to adapt to this changing world. So it's not so much that he's just a dick to everybody as much as he grew up with these older ideals, and now he's kind of like, it's this hippie-ass world, and he's just kind of trying to figure it out. Right. He's learning to navigate it. His wife, Edith, was very ditzy, but super kind-hearted. She often endured his insults, but she would stand up to him once in a while, and they were portrayed as being deeply, deeply in love with each other, despite Archie being kind of an ass. Edith was almost childlike with how innocent and naive and sweet she was. It seemed like maybe that's why she was always following Archie's lead. Maybe it was just a thing of the time period, too. Mm-hmm. The show often dealt with issues like racism and homophobia, but it was usually pretty lighthearted. All in the Family's very special episode was called Edith's 50th Birthday. It was season eight, episode four, and it aired on October 16th, 1977. So this episode's really different because Edith is a 50-year-old woman and somebody rings the doorbell and she goes to the door and this person tells her that he's a police officer. Well, he ends up coming into her house and he's not a police officer. He's a serial rapist nobody's home. Archie's, I think, next door at his daughter's house planning the party. And there's even a moment where, like, he comes home and the guy hides in the closet and he tells her, like, if you say anything, I'm going to kill you both. So she's like, she's trying to, like, give him clues. This whole, like, she's, like, making all these motions and he doesn't get the hint and he leaves. And she's left in the house with this rapist. At the end of the day, I think somebody ends up coming home and catching them, but it gets really, really scary. Like the guy has his arm around her throat and he's not just going to kill her. He starts to like kiss her and like remove her clothing. And it's just this, this scared old, like I said, she's childlike, you know? Mm-hmm. So it is just like the saddest thing I've ever seen. And you just don't expect that from this show. Or, like, any, like, this is supposed to be a lighthearted, like, family. Yeah, it's like seeing this kind of shit on the Brady Bunch, you know? Right, yeah. It was a a 70s family show, which, yeah, I was a little bit more adult. But still, it's like seeing an older woman like that is like seeing a child or a disabled person be attacked, you know, and not have a voice. You know? Oh, my God. It just, still, to to this day, it gives me chills. You know what? I'm going to upload these clips on BrokenLimelight.com and see if I can find them. So the next one is pretty well known. Summer, did you ever watch the show Different Strokes? Yes. Okay. So Different Strokes ran on ABC from 1979 to 1986. It starred Gary Coleman and Todd Bridges. 
as Arnold and Willis Jackson, respectively. So Arnold and Willis were black boys from Harlem, and they had lost their mother and were taken in by their mother's employer, whose name was Philip Drummond. He was a white guy who was, he was a rich white businessman. He also had a daughter named Kimberly, so this ended up being like an interracial family. The show was also really lighthearted, except for the fact that it had multiple very special episodes. For the most part, the show was a lot of like 1970s mixing in the white people culture with the black people culture. Like there was a lot of slaying with the black people and white people just doing really goofy white people stuff. Like, okay, so you know what I mean? Back in the day when white people didn't know how to talk to black people. So as soon as they go to speak to them, they would try way too hard and say something to try to seem cool to black people. And they'll blurt something ridiculous. Like my cousin had a black neighbor once her. I love Malcolm X. Do you know what <laughs> right. I mean? So but like this show was a lot like that. It was really funny. And it, it was also the show where Gary Coleman rose to fame and he was known for his one liner. What you talking about, Willis? It was a funny show, you know. Earlier episodes mostly addressed typical family sitcom issues, but as the series progressed, it began to focus more on serious topics, including drug abuse, alcoholism, hitchhiking, child abuse, and crime. The most notable episode is called The Bicycle Man. It's from season five, episodes 16 and 17. It's a two-parter, and it aired on February 5th and February 12th, 1983. So Arnold, this is Gary Coleman's character. He plays a child who's maybe like 10. He's a little kid. So Arnold goes to this bicycle shop with his, his, his adopted father, Mr. Drummond. So they're like looking at a bike and the bicycle salesman kind of tells him like, hey, come back anytime. Just, you know, don't tell your dad about it. So Arnold ends up coming back with his buddy Dudley. And this guy kind of gives them cartoons and he gives them sandwiches. And then he ends up kind of giving them wine. And showing them cartoons that have pornographic nature. And then he shows them pictures of himself with a bunch of naked kids. Telling them like, see, this is normal. We're, we're just like, they'd be skinny dipping. He's like, we were just going swimming, you know. Or, you know, we're just having a naked dance party. Things like that. And it's really creepy the way it happens. Because he does it so subtly that Arnold and Dudley are like, okay. Like, he's got an answer for everything. And again, he's got pictures of himself doing this with a bunch of kids. So they're like, must be okay. The weirdest thing about this episode is that there's a laugh track throughout the entire thing at the most odd moments. So it's like, it's fucking creepy. So it's not even like it was made into like a series. Like this is, these are things that are happening. Like it it wasn't like a serious episode. It was like, ha, you showed him pictures of him naked. No, you know, because it gets darker and darker. It's almost like they didn't think it through. Like, I'm sure it's it's the recorded track that they just push a button and play it. But maybe they should have found different yeah. sound effects or something, you know? That's what I'm saying. They didn't even make it like a serious episode. They were laughing at the fact that... But it gets happened. darker and darker that it's just like, what what are they trying to do here? Like, it's clearly not funny. So what happens in the, um like, in the second episode, Arnold, oh, I think he just, like, lets it slip. He doesn't even know that there's anything wrong until somebody, like, oh, I think his brother, like, smells wine on his breath. And he ends mm-hmm. up having to spill everything. So. Come to find out, Dudley went over to his house without Arnold. He went by himself. So Mr. Drummond figures it out, calls Dudley's parents, calls the police. Everybody shows up over there. And when they show up to the bicycle man's house, Dudley's like unconscious. Like he had been drugged and this bicycle man has the shower running and he's like doing stretches. Like he's getting ready to do some kind of fucking physical act with this kid in the shower who is like his, his like a noodle. You know what I mean? 
So that's how the episode ends with them like rescuing Dudley and the guy getting arrested. And then, yeah, the show ends with like the applause. Oh, okay. Fucking dark, right? And again, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. And again, these, these kids, the characters are like, they look like, like they're like eight or 10 years old, you know? So then there was another episode from Different Strokes. It's called The Hitchhikers. This one, I don't remember it as well. It just didn't creep me out as much as the other one. But it's still fucking scary because, remember, Mr. Drummond's daughter is, she's a young white girl named Kimberly. And not that that makes much of a difference, but um, it just puts it in a different perspective. She's not a street kid like the other ones. She was like a rich little girl. So Arnold and Kimberly need to get home for their father's birthday party, and they end up deciding to hitchhike. And the guy who picks them up plans to rape Kimberly. It's really intense. I, I don't remember a lot of the episode, but I do know that it ended with Arnold escaping and getting the police just in time to rescue her. It's funny. In both situations, that's how it happens. It's, the victim is still fucking there. And they're just like waiting for the police to show up. Isn't that scary? Mm-hmm. Scary for kids shows, you know? One day I'm going to have a conversation about child actors and, you know, maybe maybe they should have onset therapists for these kinds of roles. Yeah, I agree. That's really heavy all right so let's talk about full house did you watch full house uh yeah (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) so full house was the show that brought the olsen twins to fame it starred on abc from 1987 to 1995 it was about danny tanner who was played by bob saget he was a single father raising his three young daughters dj stephanie and michelle michelle was the baby who was played by the olsen twins so Danny was joined by his brother-in-law, Jesse, and his lifetime friend, Joey, who were played by John Stamos and Dave Coulier. And the two of them helped him raise his daughters. The show is like the most heartwarming of them all. Like literally they hug in every scene. So there's an episode from season six, episode 17. It's called Silence is Not Golden. And it's about Stephanie. She learns that her classmate is a victim of child abuse by his father. And she, the whole episode is her like debating whether she should tell anybody because the kid doesn't tells her not to. And I think in this episode, she's pretty small. Season six. I think she's like 12, 13. Mm-hmm. Cause remember she was, she had to be like five when she started in season yeah. one. So, and then there's another episode, the one that I remember the most, it's called shape up from season four, episode eight. This was the one where DJ started um, showing signs of anorexia. Do you remember this episode? Yeah. How old was she in this episode? She still looks small, like maybe 13 at the most. Mm -hmm. Something like that, 12, 13, 14. And she gets invited to a pool party. And in this episode, she stops eating and starts exercising vigorously until she passes out on a treadmill. And like the whole episode, also Stephanie is like telling her, like, you need to eat something. You need to stop. And she wants to tell an adult. And when DJ finally collapses, she feels super guilty that she didn't tell anybody. All of this happens in like a 26 minute episode. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And there's one more show I'm going to talk about and it's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So Fresh Prince aired from 1990 to 1996. So if you're unfamiliar, the show was about Will Smith, who was from West Philadelphia, and he got sent to live with his aunt and uncle in Bel-Air because he got in a fight and his mom got scared. I couldn't say that without rhyming, right? You should just (laughs) sing it. Uh, if I could sing it, then that would just tell you the whole entire story. Um, yeah. But that's basically it. His mom got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air. Yeah. 
Yeah, because when you said when he was raised in West Philadelphia, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't not say it. He likes to go to the playgrounds where he spent most of his days. I didn't even have to Google this one. (laughs) (laughs) So the show centers around Will Smith in Bel Air with his new family there, which includes his cousin Carlton. Then he has a female cousin, Hillary, also Ashley, and then his Uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian. Mm -hmm. So the first episode I'm going to talk about is called Mistaken Identity. It was from season one, episode six, and it aired on October 15th, 1990. Uncle Phil, who was Carlton's father, is very wealthy and well-known. He's a respected judge in Bel Air. Like Will, the whole family is black. So there's one episode where Uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian are going to a party in Palm Springs, and one of one of Uncle Phil's associates asks Will and Carlton to drive his car up to them, up to Palm Springs. So Will and Carlton are driving in the car that belongs to Uncle Phil's associate. Mm-hmm. On their way, they get pulled over and accused of stealing the car. While Carlton and Will are in jail, and I'm pretty sure they're like 18 years old, they're like barely adults. And they're like being mistreated and they keep telling the police, like, listen, my father is Judge Philip Banks. Like, you just need to let us have our phone call and, and you can like we can confirm that we're allowed to drive this car. And there's really like no reason they got pulled over. I want to say it was like th- they went like one mile per hour over the limit or they like didn't turn on their signal, their turn signal or something in time or like a broken taillight or something like that. And they arrested these kids. You know, they just they just jumped to the conclusion that the car was stolen. There was nothing suspicious about them. So finally, when they figure out what's happened, Uncle Phil storms down there with his associate and the damn cops have the nerve to tell the guy like, hey, good news. We found your car. These two clowns tried to steal it. And the associate, who is a white man, is like, I fucking gave them the keys like they're they're bringing the car to me, you know, and Uncle Phil makes this huge scene just telling him like, your jobs are gone, you know. But it's just a really dramatic episode because this is another good example of mixing the races and the classes, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's good. I love that the show did this because even Will wasn't upper class. He came from Philadelphia where him and his mom lived a a humble life, you know, and Mm -hmm. and the classism is a big theme in this show as well. Right. It is. But the cops didn't see that regardless of who Carl Carlton was and whose name he was dropping. They were just a couple of black guys driving a nice car. So this is another episode. It's called Just Say Yo. It was season three, episode 19. It aired February 15th, 1993. I believe it takes place while they're in high school. And Will is struggling to keep up with his schoolwork. He's just like exhausted. He's on the basketball team. He's got a lot of tests and he's going to school sleepy and stuff and has a hard time keeping awake. And Mm -hmm. somebody offers him some pills. So Will takes the pills. I mean, I, I don't believe he actually consumes them. He just keeps them in his locker but what happens is later on at the senior prom carlton's like hey um i need some vitamins and he goes to the locker and thinks they're vitamins and he takes them and then all of a sudden carlton's like dancing like a maniac on the dance floor which carlton danced you know but this was like (laughs) over the top like everybody's go carlton go carlton he's in the center just like losing his shit and then he passes out he collapses on the dance floor and will is like what the fuck happened and while Carlton's in the hospital, that's when Will puts two and two together that Carlton took the speed pills that were in his locker. Um, have you seen the remake of Bel Air? No, is it good? 
It is really good. But it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but um, Carlton in that version is actually like addicted to pills and oh, interesting. drugs. Yeah. Is that show He's more like of a drama? rich kid who does. Yeah, it's it's way more of a drama. And it's it's actually really good. I really like it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um. So the episode ends up with like Carlton covers for Will, like to not get him in trouble. And I, I don't know. I think he just fully takes the blame saying like, yeah, I took the pills because of this and that. And um, Will just can't handle it. He ends up going to Uncle Phil and to Uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian and just breaks down in tears and tells them like it was me. It was my fault. And like he's completely guilty that he almost killed his cousin because because of a stupid decision of just even putting the pills in his locker. Right. And he realized, like, how big the consequence of that was. Yeah. Poor Will. I loved his character. I do, too. It showed a lot of a lot of personal growth, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot. And then the dad scene. Everything. Everything with his dad. Everything with the drugs and the gangs and the fighting. Even his romantic relationships. He, you know, <laughs> he fucked around a lot when he was younger. And as he got older, he got more and more respectful. He started getting, like, legitimate girlfriends. And he... He got engaged and everything. Yeah. And then I think she left him. Oh, really? I don't. Yeah. He was engaged to a girl named Lisa. <laughs> you know I mean? and I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure at the last minute she, she left him. Anyway. Yeah, he meets Lisa in Bel Air. Oh, okay. I'll have to watch it. I like it. I think. So <laughs> lastly is the episode Bullets Over Bel Air. This was season five, episode 15. It aired February 6, 1995. And this was about Will and Carlton going to an ATM and withdrawing money, and they were robbed at gunpoint. Oh. And um, at first, you kind of think it's going to be kind of spooky, but it's still kind of funny because Carlton's goofy and he's kind of a chicken shit, while Will is being smart, like he knows what to do here. Will ends up getting shot and going to the hospital. Like, he legitimately gets shot, and then Carlton suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, and he goes and he purchases a handgun for his protection. And that is so. It was a a season five. I mean, like I was four, so (laughs) I've seen. I've rewatched the show so many times, but um, yeah. So Carlton ends up getting a gun and hiding it, and Will is the one to tell him like, "This is not the way to do it." Like, Will's the one to disprove of it and has to kind of talk Carlton down and make him feel better. That's real deep, deep situations. But that's what Um, I liked about Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Funny, lighthearted shows. Yeah. But at least in Fresh uh, Fresh Prince, they weren't, like, children. Like, yeah, some of this, they were really young for, but they were really right. adult themes. And they're themes that I think people need to talk about. Like, that's why they do these shows, you know? It's not always just and getting kidnapped and raped, but also the things with race are so relevant. You know, that shit mm-hmm. still happens. Right. All right, so that's it for now. If you have more shows that you remember like this, feel free to send them in to us. And if we have enough, maybe we'll do an updated episode. You can email us at ddwest at brokenlimelight.com or just go to brokenlimelight.com and go to contact us and you can leave a comment there. Before we go, let's do a couple shout outs. So shout out to our new Patreon, Rebel. Rebel actually subscribed to the $3 level. So that means that she's going to get a handwritten card from us. Also, um, Xenia Estrada, that's my mom. She still gets a shout out for becoming a Patreon subscriber. Thanks, mom. One more shout out for Danielle Carstens, just for being amazing. Because like, she's an amazing fan and she interacted with us on Facebook. 
So somebody was asking for true crime podcast recommendations and I was like, Broken Lion Light is true crime about celebrities and the host is adorable and hilarious. And then I was like, JK, it's me. <laughs> so Danielle commented and she was like, I love your podcast and you really are cute and funny. So she gets a shout out because I love her now. <laughs> you can also get a shout out yourself by becoming a Patreon subscriber. It's only $1 a month for you to get bonus content and early access to our episodes, not to mention a shout out. You can donate more if you feel inclined. Also, if you're just a really cool fan and interact with us often on social media, once in a while, we might shout you out too. Just like Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Yeah. We love you. Hey, hey Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, thank you to everybody who showed up to my book signing. That was really cool. My book is still available for purchase on Amazon. Just look up Broken Limelight, or you can also find a link to it on the Broken Limelight website or on my website, ddwestmusic.com. On my website, you can actually also see other events that I have coming up. And that's it. Don't forget to go to BrokenLimelight.com to look at pictures and watch all the video clips that I can find for these episodes that I described. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments or want to suggest a case, again, go to BrokenLimelight.com, hit the Contact Us tab, and just leave us a comment. Yep. Other than that, we're on all the social medias. You can find us on Facebook under Broken Limelight or everywhere else under DD West. It's either I'm DD West or DD West LV. And I've got a good meme game. Follow me. <laughs> Give me a follow. <laughs> All right, that's it for now. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bark box. Bark box. Bark box. Bark box. You guys know my dogs, Jude and Eleanor Rigby. Well, we just started getting in BarkBox, and I'm telling you, your dogs will love you. No more are they angry at the mailman. No more, I say. It's like a box of dog joy that's delivered every month, and each box tells a different story with different themed toys, treats, and photo-worthy props. Typically, what we get in each box is a couple of toys, a couple of treats, and a chew, but you can actually tailor-fit your box to fit your dog's needs. Guys, I'm telling you, your dogs will love you, even more than they already do. So try it out, and if you use my link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is a $35 value. So just head to BarkBox.com slash Broken Limelight and get started on your first BarkBox today. BarkBox! 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 Nailed it, Jude.